Welcome everyone to the Mind for Life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bogazic, and I am really excited to have back on the program Zach Slayback. For longtime listeners, Zach was originally with us on episode number 18. We had a great talk about the value of substance over status. And today we're going to talk about how to get ahead. A little background on Zach. He is a career expert, works to help individuals and corporations get ahead at work. He's the author of the forthcoming book, How to Get Ahead. He's also the owner and president of Get Ahead Labs, which is a boutique consulting firm that works directly with corporate clients to attract, promote, and retain top-tier talent. He's also the marketing and portfolio support partner at the San Francisco-based venture capital firm 1517 Fund. You can find them online where he focuses on supporting portfolio companies with talent, hiring, marketing, and public relations. Zach was also one of LinkedIn's most influential voices on education in 2015. He's been published in Newsweek, the New York Examiner, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, the Christian Science Monitor, the Foundation for Economic Education, and many others. He's also appeared on the Glenn Beck Program, Huffington Post Live, Michelle Malkin Investigates, and Stossel. We are grateful to have him on the program, and so I hope that you enjoy this interview and that you also uh, sign up to get his forthcoming book, How to Get Ahead, a six-step system to unleash your personal brand and build a world-class network so opportunities come to you. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy our interview today. We're going to talk about your book sure. and you got that coming out. So if you would just tell me a little bit how, how you got started on that and how that became a passion and, you know, what's the why behind that? Yeah. So this book, How to Get Ahead, a proven six-step system to unleash your personal brand and build a world-class network, a uh, bit of a mouthful for a subtitle. Yeah, nice. Uh, but it, it's funny, you know. I like to say that the book is actually a product of what I teach in the book, right? So I consider it a career book at its at its core. Uh, we talk a little bit about personal branding in the sense that you have a reputation, especially online, and how you can use that. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a personal brand, uh, whether you're an employee, uh, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a student. I say it's a distilled reputation, right? Who you can help and how you can help them. Um, and I talk a little bit about how to build that throughout the book, but like I said, the book itself is almost a product of my own building out my own personal brand. Right. Um, I have been writing for years. Uh, I think that's how you and I got connected. Actually, Correct. I think Medium was the way that we got Correct. connected yep, initially. Sure. Uh, and I had written a couple pieces on Medium that are kind of in the personal development vein. And I had an agent reach out to me. And this agent saw that I'd written a previous book on education and asked me, hey, do you want to publish this? And I told her, no, you know, it's it's just a collection of blog posts. It was a passion project. Mm-hmm. But I told her I was working on another book uh, and that I'd like to see if we can get this published. So she tears apart my, my manuscript I'd written. We rewrite it. We go through that whole process. Uh, and eventually McGraw-Hill picks it up okay. uh, as, as one of these like professional development books. Uh, but it's – the core of the book is that every – professional opportunity that comes your way 
is a function of signaling, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if anyone's familiar with signaling theory, it's this idea that people make decisions based on heuristics that they find, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you might get hired for a specific job because you have a specific kind of degree as an example. And that degree might signal your competence in certain skill areas, but more than anything else, it, it signals important traits for that job, mm -hmm. right? Or you may not have a degree, but you might have something else instead of that, which may uh, work as a secondary signal or an alternative signal to people. And your personal brand, your reputation also works as a signal. Correct. So I walk people through this process that I've used with some private one-on-one -on -one career coaching clients that I use in some workshops that I you know, use in some consulting uh, environments for here's how you find what you should focus on in your career a process called ambition mapping. I think we previously talked about mm -hmm. that a little bit. Uh, here's how you meet the people from whom you can learn as teachers, as, as advisors and mentors. And here's how you actually build that digital personal brand that will allow you to meet people all over the world related to the things that you want to help people in. Mm -hmm. I walk people through, here's how you set up a personal website. Here's what you need to have on that personal website. Here's how you can build your personal brand through appearing on podcasts, uh, writing guest blog posts for websites, uh, interviewing people yourself. And here's how you can grow your network. And then finally, to pitch yourself for new opportunities. Right. Right. Here's how you put together a compelling value proposition to, uh, land that opportunity that you first met the person who could give it to you through your personal brand. Okay. So this is obviously the process you've walked through, right? So you're basically sharing, you know, you're distilling your entire past several years of wh what you've done and where you've walked in your own life into these uh, which I would consider very practical as well as theoretical steps, um, yep. going from fi figuring out what your purpose is or what you're passionate about, and then all the way to pitching your yourself for a position. Which one of those? And the, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to reveal the intricate secrets of your book to everyone. Um, because we want them to read it. But which one of those do you find is the most challenging for people? And maybe is that something that is um, demographically generated in the sense that some 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 generations or some age groups or some demographics struggle with certain certain aspects of that and others with different ones? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I do think it's, it is demographically related. I also think part of it, uh, is almost sociologically, uh, related as well. People who are particularly ambitious and have been successful in every other part of their life, especially school, mm -hmm. I find that they have a really difficult time focusing on what they should do, right? So the first chapter of the book is this kind of goal setting workshop that I've put together. That's, uh, like you said, very very tactical, but also kind of theoretical. Right. Um, and we walk through how do you set some good professional goals so that now that you know what those goals are, you can work backwards and figure out what are the resources I need to marshal. And I put that together because I find that a lot of the uh, goal setting workshops that are out there, especially the goal setting workshops that come from like more of a personal development or self-help vein mm -hmm. are bad. Right. <laughs> They're not very good. Um, Just bad goals? Just like bad uh, goals or 
they're not helpful right. for the person to focus on the goals that they should be focusing on. Okay. The example I like to give is that a lot of goal setting workshops uh, wa- start by walking people through what they want, mm-hmm. right? What they want out of their career, what they want out of their love life, what they want out of their family life, whatever. And that's helpful if you're someone who I think has a fairly pessimistic view of oneself and you're pushed to like think big. Right. But if you've got a fairly optimistic view of yourself, it's not very helpful because chances are what you want is like everything, right? You want everything that's good. You want, <laughs> right. It's like, what, what's good? Well, good stuff is good. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's not very helpful. Um, and I think it's better to start by asking yourself, what do you not want? Right. What do you know you don't want out of your career? Or do you not want out of your job? Uh, and then work from there. So we, we imagine that you're like trying to paint in a painting or you're trying to put together a map and you disqualify everything that's not what you ultimately want, mm-hmm. right? So you've got the silhouette and then you fill in the silhouette with what you do want. Uh, so that's one thing that I do find that's difficult for younger people because they just have less experience uh, and ambitious people who really can do anything. They need to focus in on the few things that really matter for them. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, you know, for for an older demographic, I do find that the the online personal branding element can be a little bit more difficult. Right. Uh, a good example is I was recently uh, speaking to an HR manager at a very large corporation here in Pittsburgh, uh, older gentleman, you know, probably younger baby boomer type. Uh, and at one point he asks me, well, do you teach about social media in your book? And I tell him, you know, on the personal branding chapter, uh, I think social media can be a valuable brand builder if you use it in the right way. Right. But most people don't use it in the right way. They just like go post online and expect people to follow them. Right. And I, I give him that little spiel and I tell him, you know, if you do want to use, say, Twitter, what I recommend doing is you hire a Twitter advisor. I can recommend some people, yada, yada. And I, after giving him the spiel – he goes on this this tirade about how millennials don't understand what they post online will stay there for their whole lives. I'm like, oh, this is he and I are talking totally different worlds. <laughs> You're like speaking <laughs> right? Chinese and he's speaking uh, German, right? <laughs> right, right. It's it's like he's speaking to the stuff that millennials have heard since they're right. third grade guidance counselors, right? Uh, so that element for an older demographic can be a little bit harder, but. Really, starting your own personal website, putting up a positioning statement, and writing about what you know about or talking about what you know about is not hard. Mm-hmm. It's, somebody, it's something that anybody at any age can do, uh, especially as more and more of the technological resources, say for starting a WordPress website, right. get a lot easier and more accessible. Mm-hmm. I really like the metaphor of the, uh, I would say it's the sculpture idea for discovering a purpose. So you're starting with this huge block, and you just start knocking off chunks that you don't like, uh, which I think is very helpful because people are always looking at what do I like, and to yep. kind of to kind of break that down easier, you can just say, well, I know I don't like healthcare, or I know I don't like whatever, and just start getting those things off the table. I really like that. Um, the other side, the other question I wanted to ask you. So, for there's a huge fear component, I think, for people 
when it comes to content marketing. And I think that that uh, what you say about content marketing for personal branding is huge. I mean, it's huge to write or to put out content that you feel or you consider you're an expert on to get it out there and to share it. My experience has been in talking with people that there is a fear of putting themselves out there, even for people who are extremely accomplished, mm-hmm. right? So what would be some advice that you might give them? I mean, obviously the logistic things like getting a WordPress site and some of that stuff, you can outsource that if you have the funds or you can do the research. And, you know, I think I did the research on that one and it took me a couple months, you know, to figure it out, but it's not rocket science, you know, it's not brain surgery. But like, how did somebody overcome the fear of putting out content which I think is is a very uh, a big deal. People, you know, it's kind of scary to put yourself out yeah. there to write an article or to start blogging or something like that. Yeah, I think there are two fears that I see pretty often in this space. Uh, the first is fear that it won't be good enough, right? Right, and that's that's a big one. And then the other is that fear that it won't be original, mm-hmm. right? And what I tell people when they have these fears is, you know, I totally understand where you're coming from. That's a a concern I had when I got started in this space. I had great mentors who just assured me, like, Zach, just get started. You know, it'll get easier as you go on. You'll develop that habit. Uh, And that was helpful. But beyond that, you know, I, I find that there are two ways you can approach these. The first is, Find whoever your favorite content marketer is online, whether that's like Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan, whoever it is, and go find their first blog posts. Right. Go find their first podcasts. Like the Joe Rogan experience, the first episode is like him, like with this webcam, like kind of staring into it, and it's like really low quality, and and they're like talking, and it's not very enjoyable, but people don't really care that much. They care more that you get started and, and they'll come along with you on the ride. Right. Um, so I, I say like practically go look at the people you look up to and look at their original stuff. It's not, it's people don't expect it to be like high production at the very beginning. Uh, the other thing I would tell people is get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> people don't care that much about you. Like, yeah, you know, you might have one or two uh, blog posts that aren't as good as you wanted them to be, uh, but you know, it's not really going to follow you follow you for your whole career. Um, you can always delete the post later if you go back and you find, yeah, this wasn't that great quality. You can archive it, you can update it. Um, you'll never know what you could get to if you don't get started, though, right? On the originality fear, there's a fantastic series online that I recommend that people go watch. Uh, if they just Google, everything is a remix. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Uh, and it's it's about how, from, from a pop culture perspective, from an intellectual perspective, everything's a remix. Right. Right. Uh, whether it's, you know, a lot of the music we like is the same variation on like five different melodies. Right, right. Or if it's the, 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 the movie themes that we like are the same like four Greek myths. Um People understand that there's a lot in culture that is rehashed with your own personal perspective brought to the table. Right. Uh, And on a third point that I sometimes see come up is that, oh, I'm not an expert. Well, first of all, in order to start building a personal brand, you don't need to be an expert. People don't expect you to be an expert when you just get started. 
Uh, but secondly, if you have a handful of years of experience working in a specific area, so for example, with, with you, Jeff, working in education, you know, you know more than 98% of people in the world, if not 99% of people in the world on education, right? If you have those years of experience, that is more than the vast majority of people who could be your readers, and that's all that they want. Right. You know, people who like one of my mentors, one of my advisors, uh, is uh, a personal finance uh, blogger named Ramit Sethi, right? Mm -hmm. And Ramit, when he got really big, originally he was one of the first like bloggers. Mm -hmm. When he got really big, he wasn't writing about like advanced personal finance. He was a student in college, but he had understood and read and done his research on more than 90% of people, and that's what made him attractive as a writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's if you go through the process and you can get over yourself, like you said, um, you you grow on a journey. You go on a journey yourself, and you learn. You don't you don't start out the gate as an expert, but as you write and as you put content out there, um, you start to become an expert just by doing the work. Um, how important, from a personal branding perspective? are things like these are you know th these black box words for people who are not in that space SEO um digital marketing um ranking in the search engines how important is that especially i think you know when it comes to things like social proof and uh raising your profile and are there strategies or is that not a part of what you're trying to accomplish in your book. That's not a part of what I'm trying to accomplish in my book. Okay. And I stress to people, don't get stressed out about this stuff, okay. right? It's really easy to get into the weeds on search engine optimization or on uh, like uh, cost per click uh, for paid advertising, right? right? Or all these different things. And what I tell people is this book is to help you build that foundation. Uh, get started. And then as you get to the more advanced level and you want to start working on SEO, I've been doing, I've been blogging for like 10 years and I'm only now starting to worry about SEO. Right. right? Uh, and I think that that's totally fine. Uh, to go back to, you know, my advisor, Ramit, he calls this marketing hell, mm -hmm. right? It's like you get so overwhelmed by all these things you can do marketing wise that as a beginner, you don't need to worry about that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, that stuff will follow as you put good quality content out there, right? right? Uh, it, the way I like to illustrate the personal brand funnel is literally with a funnel, right? So you've got your website at the very bottom and an email list. The thing I really, if, we, if we're going to get into the weeds with with any kind of technology or anything with people, the thing I stress to them is you need an email list. Right. And that's because you can spend – and this is particularly relevant right now with all the drama on different social media websites. Mm -hmm. You can spend tens of thousands of hours building up a profile on a social media site or building up a ranking on Google and one algorithm switch and that could all be gone. Right. Or you could get banned and you have no idea why you got banned. This happened to me. Um on Twitter earlier last year, I got my account suspended. What? And I, I, I know. I, did. I was like, what? <laughs> what I did you, nothing. What were you tweeting out? I, I did nothing. Yeah, and it just. I had to, 
it, it, they just suspended it and I had to appeal the decision and it took about four or five days and they sent me an apology saying it was an accident and then it sometimes happens. Oh my gosh. It's like, imagine if this were my livelihood. Right. Right. So I stress to people, you know, you can use Twitter as a way to drive people to your website and right. then to your email list. But your email list is the one thing that as far as we're, we're going to be talking about like technical marketing mm-hmm. goes, that's the one thing you want to be worried about right. because that is your direct contact to hundreds or thousands of people who are specifically interested in you. Right. And you own that. Right. You'd have to go through a lot of hassle and you'd have to essentially be like a Nazi in order to get banned from using email. Right. 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 It's really, really hard to ban people from using yeah. email. Uh, let's get into the idea of mentorship because you mentioned your mentor um, and very well known, right? Very well known. So in your book, you talk about, you know, how to find and select mentors. And so explain, uh, if you would, for us, what do you mean by define a mentor? And then what's the process that you went through to be able to develop in the relationships with those people that can then really pour back into your own life? Yeah, so I have this concept in the book that I teach called a cabinet of models. In the sense that the president has a cabinet of advisors or the CEO of a company has a board of advisors, Uh, your cabinet of models is a group of role models that you can pull on uh, depending on the types of knowledge you need to learn. Mm -hmm. So uh, the cabinet of models breaks into three different types of people, mentors, teachers, and advisors. Mm -hmm. These aren't mutually exclusive groups, but I do think it is important to draw the distinctions. A mentor is somebody from whom you learn tacit knowledge. Mm -hmm. You work closely and you see how they work, and this is knowledge that is difficult to teach in a classroom, it is difficult to teach in a lecture format, it is difficult to learn from a book. Mm -hmm. Think craftsmanship, right? right? Think Think a master apprenticeship kind of relationship. Okay. Uh, the best mentors are not people you go to mentorship events and they find and you find them and you say, Oh, can you be my mentor? They're people with whom you work. Uh Right. Uh, and because you don't want them to be sitting down trying to teach you something, you want to be able to emulate them in their work as masters. Mm -hmm. So my mentors have been the people with whom I've been able to work. Okay. Uh, usually in a professional context. So my very first mentor is a legal scholar named Josh Blackman. Uh, any of your listeners who are familiar with uh, American jurisprudence might have heard of him. Uh, he's become a big figure in that little space over the last couple of years. But I got the opportunity to work with him when I was still in high school. Right. And he's the one who told me, you need to buy ZachSlayback.com and you need to be writing on it. Right. Uh, and he built his career through, and I use him as an example throughout the book in a couple cases of how even if you're an academic, you know, you can really benefit from this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he built his career through joshblackman.com, okay. right? And then I'd, I'd later mentors uh, a, a philosopher named Adrian Martin, an entrepreneur named Isaac Morehouse. You know, I, I work with venture capitalists now who I mentioned in the book. But separate from mentors – you have teachers or coaches or consultants, right? These are people who they are good at teaching. They are trained at the skill of transferring knowledge. Okay. There's this cynical interpretation of teachers that those who can't do teach. Right. And I disagree with that because not everyone who can do can teach. Correct. <laughs> right? 
You want people who are trained in the transference of knowledge. A fantastic teacher, a fantastic coach doesn't just tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. They help you get to the place where you can figure that out on your own, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so Ramit Sethi, as an example, started as a teacher of mine, almost a vicarious teacher. He's got tons of courses. He's got tons of content out there. You can have vicarious teachers. They don't need to be people you work directly with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had the opportunity through a network that I had built to actually sit down with him and learn directly from him. So he became more of what I call an advisor. Mm-hmm. The advisor is somebody with whom you meet. You might meet once in your life. You might meet once a year. You might meet once a week. This is kind of an informal role where you meet somebody and you ask them, hey, I need your advice on this specific area, mm-hmm. right? They're not coaching you. They're not teaching you. They're giving you advice, usually based on their own experience. Mm-hmm. So- in his case, you know, I asked him, what's some advice you have around building a, a book launch? Uh, you know, what's some advice you have on just like learning social skills and not being obsessed with business, right? right. Um, that's something that I was able to build through a broader network that I built out. And that network was largely a function of the mentors that I had developed. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I stress to people that you want to work directly with mentors is you gain what's called social proof. Right. So that I worked, say, with Josh Blackman allowed me to meet people who knew Josh and they would instantly trust me more than right. if I were a total stranger. This is why referrals are so important mm-hmm. in business, right? Uh, that I worked with uh, Isaac Morehouse gave me the opportunity to meet people that Isaac knew, mm-hmm. right, and build those connections faster. And you do this time and time again, and your network grows, and you can absorb other people's networks. Right. Uh, not in a transactional way, but in the sense that, hey, I know this person, I work with this person, I trust them, they trust me. That allows you to continue that relationship building process a lot faster. How do you? Okay, I really, I really appreciate the three roles and the three purposes. Each role uh, fulfilling a different purpose for what you're, what you're wanting to get in. Uh, in your life when it comes to mentorship. And in some ways, I see it as kind of like an osmosis type of environmental. You just are in the environment and you learn through the environment of being around that individual and seeing what they do. The teacher is more like a direct transference of knowledge and the advisor is just kind of helping you to gain wisdom or insight into a particular area. Uh, So when you talk about like networking, how how do you make that authentic and less, you use the word transactional. Um, I know there's people out there that are like, you know, just about making the connections. In other words, oh, I met this guy, or they they drop names, you know. But how do you make that authentic? How, how does that work? Because relationship building, in that sense, it, it should take some time, and there should be, you know, a process by which that takes place. So how, how does that seem less... You know, we all have the we all have that stereotypical image of the cheesy guy who's walking around shaking everybody's hand. Yeah, I know such and such and such and such, and he doesn't even know him. Uh, maybe he's met him one time or shake their hand at a conference or something like that. So, how does that? How do you develop that? I guess. So the six steps that I outline in the book, I actually in the very beginning uh, point out that it's a cycle, right. right? So when you get to step six, you can start all over again and okay. do it all over again. With gaining mentors. It's a lot of pitching yourself to uh, for new work opportunities, okay. right? 
something that I think is really valuable for uh, trying to gain a new mentor is leveraging your own opportunity cost. Mm -hmm. So a lot of jargon there. Let's break that down. Mm -hmm. Opportunity cost is the the uh, price of your action. We can think of it that way, right? It's not the pure economic definition, but that's the way that we can think of it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you and I have an opportunity cost to do this interview right now. It's whatever else we could have been doing with this hour of our time right? The next most valuable thing. If you're trying to find a new mentor, what you should do is you should find somebody who has achieved something you want to do and who's very busy. Their time is more valuable than yours. So you can see how you can do this pretty much at any stage of your career. It's actually really easy to do when you're younger and it actually gets harder as you're older because the value of your own time goes up right? Uh, as you gain more skills. But let's say you want to become a uh, marketing entrepreneur, right? So you find someone who runs a small marketing agency and you figure out either through talking to other marketing entrepreneurs who could be advisors or through research on this person, what does this person's day-to-day -day look like? What are all the tasks that they need to get done in that day? And they're not gonna get all of those tasks done. That just never happens. Right. A, a very effective person gets their most important tasks done, they don't get everything done. So that's an opportunity for you to find what are the tasks that are less important for them, but if I had the chance to do them, would be great for me, right? Right. And then you approach them. I've got some email scripts in the book. I've got a lot of email scripts on my website as well that you can use for this. You approach them and you say, here's what I can do for you. Here's a specific outline of it. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, if you're too busy or you're not interested, that's fine. You can go ahead and keep the like one page proposal I put together, but otherwise would love to talk to you. Mm -hmm. This is surprisingly effective because good, competent work, good, competent help is really hard to find. Right. So most people will take you up on at least talking to you right. about this, right? And then if it turns out that they can't, you can't work with them, they just don't have that opportunity available, they can become a good advisor, right? Or if they're skilled in teaching, if they're skilled in coaching, skilled in consulting, they could become a good teacher for you, right? But this is the way that you get your way in the door at the beginning, mm -hmm. right? This is what I did with Josh. This is what uh, I did with Isaac. This is what a uh, number of my clients have done in order to change careers, in order to get to the next step of the game. That is the way that you get on somebody's radar to start the conversation. You offer them value first, right? right? You never approach somebody and you never want any, you never want to work with anybody who will say yes to this too, who you never want to approach them with, will you be my mentor? Cause that just <laughs> sounds like work to them. Right? right. It's like, even if, even if I like you and even if I trust you, that just sounds like work. You've just put more work on my plate right. instead of taking work off. So think, how can I save this person time? How can I create value for them? Um, later down the line, you know, Finding mentors is step two in my system. Growing your network is actually step five. Okay. So you find that person first to gain that knowledge, to learn a little bit more about the industry or the new role you want to move into. Uh, then what you do is you execute on new projects that you can show as evidence. You know what you're talking about. You build your personal brand around that. Then you use that brand to meet new people, right? And in meeting new people, you use the knowledge that you have gained and the expertise that you have gained in order to either introduce yourself to new people, ask for introductions to new people, or show up in places where the new people you need to meet are, Right. Uh, which are never networking events. Right. <laughs> I always tell people, don't go to networking don't events. Don't go. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a bad, I've been to some of those things and everybody's just there trying to sell you insurance or something like that. You know, <laughs> it's, it's always New York life. It's all, and it's always life insurance. It's like, Hey, yeah. Um, so let's get into this one because I think, um, it will be helpful for people to understand your last step there is how do you pitch yourself and don't come off as a dork? You know, how do you, <laughs> how do you do a good job? And, and, you know, and I think the personal branding is part of it because if you do well in developing some authenticity and some uh, being able to show competence by what you're talking about and your expertise, putting out content where people can actually readily go and check it out. I think if you do a good job at that, that does help. But how do you do that in a way? Um, and, and what's the process that you go through to be able to say, this is something that I would like to pitch myself for, whether it be a job or a career or a position or whatever? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the thing is with pitching yourself, people get so caught up in the the mechanics of it, right? They're like, what should I say? Right. Uh, how do I, how do I make them uh, agree with me? And it's like, right. no, you don't want to use any of the, like, look, there, there are great books out there on selling. There's a lot of great stuff that you can learn. Those are all right and good in their own context, but you don't need to use any kind of like sleazy sales techniques. Mm -hmm. What you need to do is you need to listen to the people that you want to help, Right. You, you either research them or you meet them through pro, uh, preferably introductions. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason why pitching yourself comes after the networking chapter. Right. The vast majority of quality work, quality hires, quality consulting, whatever it is, comes from referral, mm -hmm. right? Well, when I teach people, I work on a course on how to get your dream job at a startup, right? And I've taught this probably hundreds of times individually now, and I've taught it to thousands of people in workshops at this point. And one of the points I emphasize to people is you don't want to have to apply through indeed.com, right? You don't <laughs> want to have to go through like right. monster.com. You ideally want to go through a referral of some kind that takes time and it takes research. So you might only be able to apply for five jobs instead of 50, mm -hmm. but your hit rate is going to be way higher. For sure. Um, so you look for people that you can help based on what your personal brand is and your positioning is. We work on in the book. One thing that we work on is a positioning statement. Mm -hmm. You know, I am X. I help Y by doing Z. Mm -hmm. I help Y achieve Z through A, B and C. Right. There are different versions of the positioning statement. Sure. But that's all like that audience centered. In other words, that's all centered on whatever the client is that you're trying to, you know, it's got to be targeted and directed. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I like to think uh, one of my coaches is a copywriter and business strategy coach named Mark Ahrens. And uh, I remember when I was redoing my website at one point, I was thinking like, I should have a sizzly video on the website of like me giving talks. And he just told me, he's like, that your audience doesn't care about you. They right. care about themselves right. and what you can do for them. Right. That's it. So when you get that introduction and when you ask for that introduction, you want to ask for it. You want to make it ridiculously easy for people to do. I've got scripts on this as well. Mm -hmm. And you frame it in terms of this is what I think I can help them with. Mm -hmm. This is the value that I think I can create for them. This is the outcome that I think I can do for them. And then you talk to them. You get that introduction. You start talking. You listen to the words they use. I've got a section on the book called How to Ethically Read People's Minds, mm -hmm. right? 
This is what fantastic copywriters do. It's what fantastic salespeople do. Mm -hmm. uh, copywriters who don't seem sleazy, a lot of copywriters seem sleazy, and salespeople who don't seem sleazy. They listen to the words you're using, and then they incorporate those words into their proposal, into their email, into speaking with you, right? Right. They don't use jargon, right? It's, it's we're, we're not going to create synergy in your business across different business units. It's going to be, we're going to save time for people. We're going to make this less stressful for people. Right. Right. Um, and then from there, you say, this is what I would do for you. You draw up a very simple proposal. Uh, there are tons of different proposal templates I can recommend that aren't my own that, I, that I've pulled from much smarter people than myself. And you put it on, you put the ball in their court. Right. Okay, say, this is what I can do for you, and this is how I would do it. You go into detail of how you can do it in this case because you probably don't have a very strong previous relationship with this person, and you want to show them, hey, I know what I'm talking about. The details show that you're conscientious, which is an important trait that people want to hire for. Right. Uh, and then you go from there. I give the example of one of my uh, previous coaching clients, AJ Goldstein, who got the opportunity to work with one of the world's leading meditation app companies through building a world-class network like I cover in chapter five and pitching himself as I cover in chapter six. He asked for an introduction to Kevin Rose, who is like one of the big meditation app guys out there, uh, flew up to Portland to meet with them, listened to his team for a couple days, talk about what their problems were, put together a proposal, and then he calls me one day and he's like, Kevin wants to hire me. Like, well, of course Kevin wants to hire you. Like, mm -hmm. you've been listening to him and creating value for him. And while he ultimately did a short project with them and ended up moving on to better projects, that was something he never thought he'd be able to do. Right. Because he listened and he reciprocated. Yeah. What you're describing is a far more in-depth process than tweaking your resume. You know what I mean? Most people will put together a resume and says, these are my competencies. These are the things that I'm good at. Here's my education. Here's my experience. Uh, am I the puzzle piece that fits for you? And then maybe like readjust that stuff to maybe tweak it. What you're talking about is way more involved, which is why I would say it's way more effective because you're doing a deep dive on what the difficulties and challenges and obstacles that the position that someone is looking for has, and then actually providing solutions for them, which ultimately is what people want. We're not trying to hire a puzzle piece to get in here. We're, we're hiring somebody that's going to come and provide the solutions for our organization. So I, I think, you know, when you there's people that have the, the maybe the shotgun method. I'm going to send out 120 resumes and see what comes back. And usually nothing comes back. Um, but th to be able to focus on some things, really do a deep dive, listen, create a proposal, because in doing all of that, right, am I – you're showing them this is the type of work I will bring to the table when I come here, right? So you're giving an example of what you would do and how you do it. And I think that's something that people appreciate. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I like to stress to people because an area that people really get caught up in is like, well, what should I put together in the proposal? Don't stress about that. Right. Just make sure it's good and make sure that you're paying attention to your details. 
because people think that there's like some some platonic ideal of what the proposal should look like or what it should include and that's not really all that important right what's important is signaling exactly what you just said signaling that this is the kind of work i'll bring to the table because at every step of this process you just want to get to the next step of the game right right? right. and even if you do have to use a resume you know i I tell people resumes are kind of like business cards Mm -hmm. uh having one will not get you an opportunity sending one out will not get you an opportunity Not having one might lose you an opportunity. Right, right, right. So you probably should have one. But even in the sense that you have one, its only goal is to get you an interview. Right. Is to get you to the next step of the game. And ideally, you should have already talked to somebody at the company before you sent the resume in anyway. Right. Uh, yeah, you just want you want people to say, this is someone I want to work with. Right. Your proposal might be missing details, but I don't expect it to have details because I haven't talked to you in depth or brought you into the company yet. But that you go through the work to put something like this together tells me this is somebody I want to work with. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty cool funnel system in that sense that you, you, there are certain things at the top that start to get you into the funnel to move you forward. And if you want to think of it in terms of that, you might ask yourself, what's my conversion rate at each step? At each step, Where am I failing? Um, the first step, and, and I think you provide a great uh, avenue for people to get into a funnel, which is not just shotgun your resume out, but make connections, develop your network, form mentorships and partnerships, know what you want to do, have your your reputation that's there as a backup online to just start to get you in the door. And then you need to, you need to take those next steps as you walk down, uh, as you move down that funnel, really, really insightful. And, and I appreciate that. I think it's very beneficial and can be very practically applied to people. I just think, you know, people, uh, um, I don't know if people really grasp the work that's got to go into that. Right. That's, we're not just talking a, a one-off deal here, put up one web page with your picture on. You know, what you're talking about is is effort and work and an in-depth persona that you're creating in an entire process. But when you go through it, you can see why it's successful. It's something that, again, whether you want to be an employee, an entrepreneur, uh, you know, work in the nonprofit space, an academic once you do the work, it is something that you can carry with you your entire career. For sure. And it's it's a great insurance policy too. Yeah. I know people who they've lost their jobs, but because they had that strong reputation, it was so easy for them to build to get a new job. Right. Um I had a friend point out on Twitter last week, for example, he's a marketer and uh he's got a very strong reputation for the type of marketing that he does, technical marketing. He pointed out he's like Look, if I lost my, I've got 2,500 Twitter followers. If I had to get a job tomorrow, he runs his own business, so he wouldn't be losing his job. <laughs> but if I had to get a job tomorrow, I could get five offers by the end of the week. Right. Because he's got a strong reputation. Right. And we want to, the personal brand is the way that you encapsulate that reputation and you signal it out into the world. Right. It doesn't have to be sleazy. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you want to build a personal brand? Well, here's my Maserati in my garage and my bookshelves full of books. That's not what it is at all. It's just who are you, who can you help, and how can you help them? Right. Yeah, I think uh, the authenticity component. And what are you doing but just putting out your expertise to people 
And ultimately, that's what they want to see. You know, competence is uh, a big factor, and you have to be able to show people that you're competent at what you do and that you are, you know, an expert in your field. Unfortunately, we're not in the day and age where, you know, business cards are getting handed around at conferences because people just take those things and throw them in the trash anymore. There's got to be some more, you've got to have some more depth and you can't just say, oh yeah, he's a good one for you. You know, it it doesn't work that way in this day and age anymore. There's got to be more proof, more evidence that you're capable of doing what you say you're doing. And there's a reason why, you know, the per- the actual like personal branding chapter of a book that has personal branding in the subtitle doesn't come till chapter four. Right. Now, it, it's a huge chapter in the book. It's like a third of the whole book. But it comes in chapter four because we need to lay that foundation right. first. Right. Uh, one of my one of my friends who he's big on Twitter, Ed Lattimore, has pointed this out before. If you try to do personal branding uh, without any kind of substance right. to back up. Like if you're a 16 year old who's never done anything, it's like it wasn't until I actually had a decade of stuff under my belt that I would even feel comfortable saying that I have a personal brand. Right. Right. You want to actually build up that evidence first. Right. Yeah. And you also got to know what you want to (laughs) do. You know, at 16 year old, maybe you do. Maybe, you know, I'm going to be in digital marketing or I'm going to be in academics or whatever. And you're going to write on that. Uh, but some people don't know what they want to do. And at the same time, it's not you you can change that, but at you you need to be, I don't want to say strategic, but you need to think if you built up a whole reputation, say in the digital marketing space, and now all of a sudden you want to say, I want to go into uh, sales or whatever, you know, you need to start transitioning that stuff over. So, you know, which is something you can do. Like, uh, yeah, you don't have, you're not wed to your personal brand for your whole life. Right. Um, you can transform that. You can transform that. Yeah. And basically it's just now putting up content in that area. Right. And now starting to develop, do it's the same process you just described. It's just now doing it in a a little, in a different area in a different space. So. Yep. That's and awesome. you can expand your brand too. Like my, my brand previously, as I started to develop a brand right. was education oriented, right. education and careers are related to each other. So it was easy for me to kind of like make that transition or make that addition. Um, but you're right. It, it just takes a, a refocusing. Right. Yeah. So but it takes having focus in the first place. <laughs> you can't just write about everything. <laughs> yeah. You got to know what you want to do and that, that can change and you can write about different things, but uh, you need to start writing. You need to start putting out content. So that's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate the time, Zach. It's been great talking to you. I, I want to say very insightful. I really, uh, really think it's a great process. It's going to be a very practical book for people. Is there a uh, drop date on that or do you know when that's coming out um what i've been telling people is uh hop in my email list at zackslayback.com okay um i send an email maybe like once every two weeks i don't spam people and once the book is good and ready for pre-order uh i'm i'm going to be offering people uh a lot of resources if they go ahead and pre-order the book so And so uh, people can sign up at your website. You also have some other resources there available. Yep. I've got uh, a big part of all of this, as I've mentioned, is, you know, using how, using email well, right? right. Emailing people well. Uh, so if you join the email list, 
my core piece of collateral there is a short ebook on 12 of my favorite email scripts. Mm-hmm. These are email scripts on, hey, here's a, a, a proposal I want to put together to get a job interview. Right. Or uh, here's an email script I can use to ask a friend for an introduction. Um, here's an email script I can use to ask uh, a mentor or someone I admire to check out my email or check out my blog posts or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I've got 12 of these. Um, these have worked really, really well for me and my readers really, really enjoy them. So if you sign up, you get those as well. Awesome. Hey, really great talking to you, man. Thanks for coming back on the program. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that interview with Zach Slayback. Again, if you're interested in getting some of his resources and being notified when the book is published, you can sign up for his email list at zackslayback.com. And finally, if you are interested in developing in your own life the essential skills for success, you can sign up at mindforlife.org download an essential skills assessment and see how you are doing on each of those skills. We also have some resources there available to help you grow in each of those areas. All of that is free of charge. Well, thanks again for listening to this program and we'll talk to you next time. (laughs) 